Listen to something fresh. Listen to Salam Media. special focus with myself Sahid Jadwet. So today we are in conversation with Mr. Andile Mkitama who is the leader of the Black First Land First Movement. Mr. Mkitama, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the special focus. Yes, welcome. Thanks for inviting me and also I say hi to your listeners. Now let's get to know you a little better. Tell us about your early life and how you eventually what eventually led you to your current life path. I was born and raised uh, on a white-owned farm in Pochestrum in the northwest. So then move around the farms with my parents, with farm workers, uh, and I went to farm schools in the beginning. I mean, there's a very interesting, I think, uh, stories then about how I experienced not directly first the brutality of uh, the institution of farm life. South Africans don't understand that. The food that we, we, we have, I mean, if you open your fridge and this eggs, the milk and this meat, where it comes from, mm-hmm. the people who are producing that are actually slaves in South Africa. But I mean, I was raised and then I eventually studied at Vets University Sociology. And um, I started, of course, my activism around the land issue almost immediately after I left university. All right. So you do say that... Um we take it for granted how um, we get stuff in our fridges, okay? Um, but you say that people don't think about um, where it comes from. And you make a bl- bold claim, I think, um, to say that it comes uh, from slaves on the farm. So um, could you just um, elaborate on that for us? Um, farm workers in South Africa are the most uh, oppressed people. Uh, you know, since 1994, for instance, there's over a million farm workers that have been evicted from farms. If you go to any squatter camp in the, around any township and you ask, uh, you'll find today about 60% of the people who are there would have been farm workers. They're all people being evicted forcefully from farms. And then those who stay on farms still, they, you know, they, they get killed. I mean, there's a story, sunflower story in the Northwest again, uh, around Zeras, where you know, farm, farmers just basically murdered a young boy. I mean, and these stories continue like this. Um, so the, those are the conditions of farms. And, and then you look at the minimum wage. The minimum wage of farm workers are lower than the minimum wages that are allowed in other industries. So our government post-1994 have institutionalized this, uh, 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 what, I called, what I call slavery on farms. What you needed to do in South Africa today, really, if you're serious, is to give farm workers liberation, freedom, and that means giving them land. You know, example, if you're a farm worker, you, you need to get permission to even get visitors. Often, in fact, when farm worker passes on, the white farmer refuses to let them be buried on the farm. So you're landless alive, landless even in death. And so I'm saying I come from that background. Uh, myself, I went to this farm school, and it's crazy stuff which to happen. And um, I, I always had the sense that I will get out. But uh, and, and when, when I got political consciousness at high school through understanding black consciousness of Stephen Bandubiko, I understood that I can't get out alone. And my commitment is to the liberation of black people in totality. 
Okay, and I think that leads us to the topic of land reform, etc. But we'll get to that just now. Um, about the ideology of your movement, I mean, um, you you were a member of the EFF and then you moved on to form your own party, which is the Black First, Land First. You were unhappy with the EFF because you thought it had some the, the same tendencies as the ANC. The BLF, however, looks pretty much the same, Andila. No, it doesn't. No, we we certainly uh, uh, EFF claims to be Marxist Leninist. They have dropped the whole Fanon thing. In fact, I mean, I I I I, I, I hope some of your listeners who follow closely know that December there was a very interesting conversation with an EFF uh, provincial leader wrote an article saying that EFF is not a black consciousness organization, and this was published in the official website of the EFF. We believe that this is actually the official position of EFF. It's not a black consciousness organization. It claims to be Marxist-Leninist, and even that it isn't. Because, I mean, no Marxist-Leninist party, worth their sold, will go into a political arrangement with a party of white monopoly capital. White Marxist-Leninism is uh, essentially anti-capital. And so, politically, it doesn't make sense. Um, so there is no ideology there. But right at the beginning, I can explain, it was a very important tactical move that when EFF was formed, it brought these seven cardinal pillars, one of which was land expropriation without uh, compensation uh, as, a, as a key uh, a, a pillar. And that for me was very attractive. And I went there to make sure that we give content to that. We never trusted Julius Malema because you remember, I had already written a letter criticizing him much earlier on for his a con- conspicuous consumption, and I was inviting him to become like Thomas Sankara. The corruption of Limpopo, all that had happened. But when a political leader makes a move that has the potential to address the historical questions, I'm very willing to suspend my criticism and say, okay, no, the man has changed, let's do something. So ideologically, we are black consciousness, blacks only. EFF isn't. Even the little uh, black project we brought in there to Fanon uh, when we were there and uh, trying to make it black consciousness, now they've officially even dropped that. So ideologically, no. Black first, land first could never enter into a political arrangement with the Democratic Alliance of Helen Zile. Impossible. Our first responsibility is towards black people and therefore we'll never at any point uh, entertain any possibility of working even with progressive white people even with progressive white what more with helen zile who is who praises apartheid colonialism openly racist no these are important differences that's why we defend all black people come under attack eff on the other hand had no problem marching alongside freedom front plus uh, against president zuma so we will not do those kind of things and i mean i think that distinction is is critical Okay, now about the importance of the smaller parties. BLF doesn't hold a single seat in parliament, yet it has attracted much interest. Do you think you have any influence on the political landscape at all in South Africa? We have a big influence. You know, if we just to look what had happened with the DA, I mean, how we have changed the, the DA and make it... Uh, drop the pretense of being a party of non-racialism. And that has happened because... The Freedom Front Plus uh, understood our position. In South Africa, forget about numbers, because I'll, I'll give you another good example. In the last elections, Black First, Land First got about 20,000 votes, right? And uh, we spent less than 100,000 in the entire electoral process, right? Mm-hmm. 
parties like ANC spend about a billion rand, DA about 800 million, EFF, we, we calculate over 500 million. So there is, firstly, just from the point of resources, you can't make those comparisons and say BLF does not have a presence when without money at all, you have this number of people saying this party represents our interests. But also just in terms of ideology, we have forced the DA to become the party of whiteness by through this process where the Freedom Front Plus has been able to get the white votes by attacking Black First Land First, including the terror they have. I mean, people say we are irrelevant. If we are irrelevant as Black First Land First, why would the DA, the Freedom Front Plus, uh, Afri Forum, all of them spend so much money and effort to silence our movement? I mean, we are a banned organization, as I speak to you. Mm-hmm. After the elections, as a consequence of the the uh, application by Freedom Front Plus, if we're irrelevant and um, a party that should not be uh, you know, listened to, they should have just left us alone, but they are not, because they know, you see, we are the future. This is the problem. And that future is black. And and this terrifies those who have our land and who benefit from racism. Okay, fair enough. But don't you think that um, your rhetoric has actually, in fact, catapulted your influence and your, president, uh, your presence? I don't know. I mean, I think it cost us. The fact that we stand so sharp so, um, you know, unwavering on the black question in a country which has been brainwashed against blackness, it disadvantages us. I mean, a lot of people, for instance, what do you say, black, if you're a so-called Indian person or colored people, you see we're not talking about you because we have lost the memory of how Stephen Bantu Biko, when he said black, he meant all the oppressed people. Biko was there with uh, Peter Jones, a, a colored guy, Biko was there with Trini Moodley, a, 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 a so-called Indian person. Together they devised this understanding that we are all oppressed. And the enemy is dividing us by giving some of us little privileges. But we are all oppressed, we must be united. And that's what we mean by black. Even when I, we say black first, land first, a lot of black people, even African people, are terrified. Because the system has destroyed our mind and made us hate ourselves and fear ourselves. Therefore, you know, when people say our rhetoric has catapulted us into the public imagination. We say, well, at great cost. If we were just a party that claimed mandela type of let us kumbaya together, peace and all that, would have done much better, mm-hmm. even um, amongst the African people. But we, we are taking the hard, long route, because that is the route which will ensure true liberation for our people. And I can tell you now, a lot of black people are beginning to say, yeah, these guys were right. They were right on many points and they are consistent. Take Pravin Gordon. We have always said Pravin Gordon is a problem. Congratulated to President Zuma when he fired him. Julius Malema and others who have no ideology actually took uh, uh, action against President Zuma in defense of Pravin Gordon. We ask the question today, what has changed for them to go against Pravin Gordon? Except the fact that Pravin Gordon is saying to them they must they must account for looting places like VBS. This is all opportunistic. Black first, land first, or the other end, ourselves, operate on the basis of, of principle. And we know that's not easy. All right. Still lots left to unpack with uh, Mr. Andinem Kutamba. Stay tuned. 
Listen to something fresh. Listen to Salam Media. Welcome back. Lots of comments relating to this discussion with Mr. Andile Mpitanga. Um, Mr. Andile, welcome back, of course, to you. Um, now, let's talk about land expropriation without compensation and land reform in particular. What exactly is it that the um, BLF wants? Um, as it appears right now, you are not happy with the EFF slash ANC um, plans for land reform. So what exactly are we talking about? What do you want as the Black First Land First movement? It's a very basic uh, demand based on the historical fact of land dispossession. Our land was taken from us. What must happen is land must be returned to its rightful owners. At all right? costs. Now, I beg your pardon? Um, you say that would be at all costs. Um, so is that justifiable? Um, what do you mean by all costs? But if I, if, if I come to your house, I kick you out of your house. You are in the street. I'm in your house. You and your children are standing out in the street. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you take all measures possible to reclaim the house that belongs to you? Isn't that the most ethical, principled uh, thing to do? Well, as it stands, it would appear as though um, the current landowners didn't steal. In fact, it must have been um, their ancestors. So how do you believe that it actually is your land? So you're saying that if... Uh, let's go back to our example. If uh, you get kicked out and uh, this guy who kicked you out give that property to their children, your children have no claim over the property which belonged to their parents and which was stolen from them. Is that, is that what? what we're saying now? That time determined that an, an, an injustice only on the, on the basis of time should not be redressed. In other words, the Palestinians should not be fighting for land because land was stolen over many generations. The, the Afro-American people in, 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 in America should not call for reparations. And by the way, they were promised land when, when slavery was ended because it is too many years now. The, 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 the current beneficiaries are not the direct dispossessors. They're just benefiting from the original dispossession. Does that make sense, that argument? Well, the facts are there. Um, uh, there was nobody inhabiting southern Africa before in the first instance. Um, even the local Africans who are living here at this time, they also descended from uh, tribes who came down from Central Africa. That we, what you just said is a piece of prosperous uh, uh, colonial insult. It's not even history, it's colonial insult which erases uh, the truth of the African presence and not only that, the many anti-colonial battles which our people perish in defense of this land. I mean, Jan van Riebeek arrived in 1652. By 1654, there's already outbreaks of battles. The first, in fact, political prisoner with the arrival of white people here is Harry the Strangwerper, the leader of the Khoi and the son, who fights to defend land. This is an African person. These are Africans defending their land rights. So I don't understand anyone who said there was a Africa, Southern Africa was with no people. This is a basic historical distortion. This is a justification and um, 
basically an attempt to give legitimacy to colonial plunder and colonial mass murder. Um, uh, Africa has always have African people on it. In fact, Africa is a cradle of humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not in a portion of my land, does not mean that it doesn't belong to me. Okay. But even that, it's not true to say uh, Southern Africa was with no population. That's not true. With the arrival of white people here was started because we're there and they're pushing us away. Okay, so we'll leave that for now. Um, let's see, what exactly is your policy on land reform? What does the BLF want? We want land to be returned to black people because we move from the premise that all land in South Africa is stolen property. And what's the plan and for what, that? I beg your pardon? What's the plan for that? Um, how do you expect that to happen? We, we, we are guided by the notion of by any means necessary. We will use... The, the, the parliamentary process, we are participating, continue to participate in it. We will, in fact, now with this, I hope your listeners know that they have until the end of this month to make a written submission to parliament uh, after they published in the heat of December when people are now, were not uh, you know, paying attention, they published this bill, the 18th Amendment of the Constitution, which is supposedly about land expropriation without compensation. In fact, it is not. So we are educating our people about this. We will make a submission. That is the one thing. The other thing we're doing is to agitate for direct land repossession. In other words, our people must take land. It belongs to them. We are going to have to do both things. Use the legal means, use parliament, where possible even court. But essentially, we have to do the right thing ourselves. Take back the land. Occupy those farms because they belong to us. Okay. Now, the BLF has also shown support for the Gupta family. Do you have any comment regarding the reports that you've asked them for funding? Those, of course, are based on the Gupta email leaks a few years back. But, you know, even those uh, emails, there's no way when where I, even, among, even, even with those contrived emails, there's no email that comes from me that I ask money from the Guptas. They said there's an email that supposedly some Gupta associate says that I am asking for money. But there is no evidence that I am doing this. So firstly, those emails have not been used in any court as authentic. So there's a big problem there. But let's leave that. Let's come back to what people confuse about Black First Land First and our our position with regard to the Gupta. Mm-hmm. We have maintained a position to, uh, to say... A deal with all corruption from Guptas to Rupert. That is our position. We even marched to, to Zuma. We asked for this. But what is, what is happening is there is a deliberate uh, avoidance of dealing with the corruption of white monopoly capital and attacking the Guptas. But even there, there is no evidence that the Guptas, in fact, have done anything wrong. By now, we should have court decisions. There have been some of their associate matters been thrown out of court. So we are saying the reason why the Guptas have been demonized, I mean, really, the Guptas, there was a claim that they are doing corruption. Without any court decision that they are corrupt, our banks shut down their banking account. Why? This is war. Our banks do not shut down the bank the bank accounts of loanmen after murdering those workers in Marikana. Our banks are not shutting down the bank accounts of uh, Steinhoff. They are not shutting down the bank accounts of Marcus Joste and a long list of white monopoly capital involved in corruption. Because our banks are part of white monopoly capital and they are at war with anyone who threatens their interest. And the Guptas' biggest 
is that they were threatening the interests of white monopoly capital, in particular in the mining sector. And I think with that 5% supply they got of ESCOM, supplying coal, as a result of a very interesting, I think, uh, uh, taking over of um, Glencoe's mine, uh, that the Guptas were able to supply only 5%. That 5% is what has led to the Guptas being kicked out of the country. And on the topic of uh, former President Jacob Zuma, why exactly are you supporting him? I mean, um, this despite all the um, claims of corruption hovering above his head, you have in Kandla, you have the Guptas, you have um, the 16 charges of corruption. So why exactly are you supporting him? Yes, again, you know, uh, it's, the same, it's the same problem. And let me just um, explain our approach. Our approach move from this. We believe in South Africa. The fundamental contradiction is with white monopoly capital. In other words, until we are able to defeat white monopoly capital, there's no chance that black people in this country would uh, participate in the economy. There's no chance. So that is the fundamental, the primary enemy is white monopoly capital. Now, President Zuma moved away from supporting anything to do with white monopoly capital. He started uh, supporting Briggs. He started talking about radical economic transformation. You must look at the mining charter he brought to Msebenzizwani, saying in 12 months, 30% of mining rights must go to black people. In some instances, up to 70% of the, the, the value chain of mining must go to black people. He was moving radical. Free education. So, white capital at this point move against Zuma. Now, if as we argue, the primary enemy is white monopoly capital. Whomever it attacks, more so those who are taking a position against them, becomes our friend. We had looked and were shocked and moved by what happened in Brazil when a democratically elected president was removed because of the BRICS process. And then we saw exactly the same method being used against Zuma. Use opposition, use NGOs, even try to use students, use the churches to remove a president that is not wanted by those who control capital. That's what they did in Brazil successfully, removing a democratically elected president. And they, they came to South Africa trying to do the same thing. We said we are anti-imperialist, we are anti-white monopoly capital, and whomever they, they attack, we have to defend. That is our primary reason for defending President Zuma. But of course, he did respond very positively at the policy level. When a sitting president says, black people unite to get land back, when a sitting president says, we want a state bank, when a sitting president says, give free education, we as revolutionaries have a duty to protect such a person when they come under attack from our enemy. These are the things in Kandla. Let's take in Kandla. You know in Kandla, President Zuma actually end up paying only about 7 million rand, calculated by Pravin Gordon to be what uh, is an authorized expenditure. People don't know this. That's, that's all that the Zuma had to pay because all other expenditures are within what the state provides for. All presidents in this country, their residences are being upgraded And that's an interesting point you make there about um, that President um, Jacob Zuma eventually only paid around 7 million rand because that was what was um, actually owed by him. Um, And that's a fraction of the um, total of 200 and something million rand which was spent on his in in Kandla homestead. So we will um, leave that there for now. Um, Let's take a short break and when we get back we unpack um, your views on 
um, climate change and the media in South Africa and much more. Stay tuned. Listen to something fresh. Listen to Salam Media. Welcome back. An interesting show so far and um, just a little while remaining, a few minutes remaining. So let's make the uh, most of this now. Um, Just before the break, you actually said that um, as long as white monopoly capital exists, right, um, black people don't have a chance to participate in the economy. That's what you say. Um, Don't you think that um, this mere statement actually challenges the idea of hard work and entitlement no of course there is no i mean you know my father i explained that i was raised on a farm my father was the hardest working person i have ever seen mm-hmm. that man was up at 3 a.m tending to his own animals first his own garden before he went to work work for the white man for the whole day now that man died too so the idea of hard hard work does not apply in a situation of apartheid and colonialism and racism. Many, many of our people trapped in the townships, trapped in places like Lenezia, are brilliant, some of them geniuses, but they do not have the opportunity to realize themselves because of racism. So you need to firstly end these structures that keep our people out before you can talk about meritocracy and hard work. White people who own 90% of the economy are not hard workers in this country. In fact, in the suburbs where I go, sometimes I see them, they're spending the whole day, uh, day eating in this restaurant. The people who are working the hardest are people who are poor. So no, there is no relationship whatsoever between hard work, between discipline and wealth. In South Africa, all the wealth in white hands it was organized by colonialism, by apartheid, and by racism. It's got nothing to do with uh, uh, hard labor or hard work. In fact, it's got to do with how vicious you can be against a people you have colonized. Okay. Now, I want to know more about the BLF's relationship with the media in South Africa. Um, Peter Bruce, um, Tom Cohen, these people were intimidated and assaulted by BLF members after publishing after they published an article about the Gupta family. And these weren't the only cases. There were uh, there was investigative journalist Mika Reddy, um, Huffington Post's Fidel Hafaji, and they have been alleged to have fallen prey to the alleged BLF harassment. No. Uh, we will never, let's just uh, clarify that. There's no way that uh, somebody like uh, Reddy or somebody like uh, Afaji would have been uh, a victim of our anything because we do not, as black, first and first, direct our anger at black people, and those are black people. But we know that they are agents of white monopoly capital and they are uncomfortable. They are very uncomfortable with us. But no, there's no way. Now, Peter Bruce and the other guy are a different matter. Our members visited them. And as far as I know, there was no, there's no criminal case open against us for that. The claims of being assault, we believe, is a, is a lie told to tarnish the image of our organization. Peter Bruce is a known racist. In our view, he's got nothing to do with being a journalist. And uh, his job is to fuel this battle against anyone who stands for radical economic transformation. You know, you must see the article that he written at the time against uh, the, the, the Minister of Finance, uh, Mkigaba, I think, at the time. He was almost calling the guy a monkey, right? So mm-hmm. like, you can't do that. 
right? In any racist society. So we were dealing with racism and uh, we've been projected as racist. We are very clear the media must do its job. Uh, but you know, the shocking thing is this. We, as Black First Land First, are being censored completely. I mean, you know our, our blogs, our websites, our official website even, we move it every week because every week is being shut down and the South African media will say nothing about that. I have been shut down from social media too many times because uh, they don't want to hear our voice, just like we are a banned party in South Africa today because they're scared of our message. So there is a, this disjuncture between people who claim to be for um, the media freedom and their actions to censor us. I mean, take uh, uh, something like Daily Maverick. They allow people to write about us in their pages. They will not give us the right to reply, right of reply. It, this is really the practice of South African media. It is self-regulated. It is um, a, a, a media which is white owned, white owned by white monopoly capital, or if not directly owned, at least it's uh, pushing the agenda of white monopoly capital. And, 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 and naturally, we are seen as the enemy because we are opposed to white monopoly capital and we consider it as the primary enemy that must be defeated. Okay, let's talk about climate change. You blame this on whites and the uh, and the Cape Storm, according to you, was caused by the Oppenheimer and Rupert families, as well as the Democratic Alliance, which I find quite bizarre, but perhaps if you explained it, I'd understand things differently. No, I, I'm not sure I was uh, that specific that uh, it is the, the Rupert and, and so on, but anybody who studied climate change would know that they're correct. The destruction of the ecosystem, the ecological disaster we find ourselves in is a man-made one. The destruction of the ozone layer with the consequences that we have uh, climate change and the predictability of weather patterns have been completely destroyed. This is not a natural phenomenon. You know, our people, I mean, Africans in particular, we, uh, you know, our rhythm of how we uh, we plant and we rear our, our cattle and so on is dependent on the predictable, predictable uh, media, I mean, rather, uh, uh, weather uh, uh, behavior. When you, when you do consumption, because mm-hmm. the emission, the emissions that we have, a creation of consumption, and this consumption is European, it's, 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 it's all from the West. The West is responsible for the destruction of the, of, of the of our ecology. And so when you say those who destroy must pay and must take responsibility, people think you're crazy. No. What we have today, the fact that you have El Nino, which mm-hmm. comes and, and messes up our people, there's floods when they never, never was flooded before. This is a direct outcome of what global capitalist production is doing to our environment, mm-hmm. and we are the, uh, the, the, the victims of that process. So and it's really who's responsible for this. You and I, of course, might be um, involved in that by buying these products, don't you think? Well, that's a very interesting proposition. That is why we call it white monopoly capital. They monopolize everything, and they're even destroying alternative possibilities because they control, they are a monopoly. This is a big problem. I mean, I'm driving a car which is designed by these guys, come from them. They didn't care for the environment. They care 
cared for their profits, and I need to move because they also make sure that our government do not give us good public transport. Because if we had good public transport, and we don't need all of us to be driving all these cars, because we'll just jump into a bus or into a train and be able to get to one point to the other. But our government, because they are in the pockets of, of these money makers, they, they, they put us in this difficult position where all of us now, I look at our highways in South Africa, it's two people, one person in the highway, all of them in these cars. I mean, I mean, two people, one person in these cars, and we are clogging the system. The, the, the carbon footprint is really getting out of hand when the state could have solved this problem by simply providing reliable public transport. But they won't do that because it's not in the interest of capital. Furthermore, capital making sure that our environment is destroyed for profit. And just quickly, I think we'll wrap up on this also. Um, I find it interesting how peddlers of the anti-decolonialism uh, movement and stuff like that, um, and the anti-white monopoly capital movement, I find it interesting how these people actually um, use the European cars, as you mentioned earlier, they use the European um, clothing, they use everything which was introduced by Europeans. So isn't this ironic? You know, we need to educate ourselves. Europeans were killing each other and eating raw meat and living in caves when we as Africans at universities. The template of contemporary technological development is, is African. We gave Europe mathematics, philosophy, chemistry. We gave them what they know as civilization. So this idea that somehow Africa is uh, you running around half naked uh, and uh, holding a spear and dancing is the is a colonial construct. We as Africans had universities. We taught them their best. Came to our universities in Africa to learn, and that's how we civilized the West. So this idea somehow that a car when we drive it today is a European thing. It's not true. It was everything you see associated with technological development is all based on the template of African knowledge. I mean, I mean, we, we, we advance, I mean, the pyramids, look at the pyramids, we created the pyramids, mm-hmm. even modern, modern science still can't figure out how we did that. Mm. Now, it, it's really interesting, Ada. Um, it's a pity that we have to um, end this here. But just quickly, in 30 seconds, if you could sque- squeeze it in, um, Palestine and the Israeli conflict, what are your thoughts on this? We, as, as an oppressed people, we, we, we should not even hesitate. We stand with Palestine, we stand with occupied Palestine, and we have to emphasize the point that it is not possible for us to be free without Palestine being freed. And the, and, and the model of how the Palestinian people's land was stolen, how the oppression is continuing there, is a model which is being exported everywhere on earth to maintain the oppression of, of, of oppressed people globally. We must be and, and, and insist on this and be consistent on this, that Palestine is one with us. And that is why we as Black First Land First find it so disturbing when one hand people talk about supporting Palestine by the same people taking money from Zionists who are building the wall in, in the apartheid wall in Palestine. So no, we are saying free Palestine to free the world. All right. Thank you so much for your time. That was really interesting. Thank you. And that was the leader of the Black First Land First movement, Mr. Andile Mkitama, keeping our company this afternoon for most of the show. Um, 
yeah so a big shout out to Ziad Melazi for keeping everything in the production and technical aspect of the show um e- keeping everything under control um yeah and a big thank you to you as the listener for always tuning in the on your Thursday afternoon between 3 and 4 p.m. We'll do it again same time same place next week. Stay tuned.